How can you be part of a religious community that straight up denies Sometimes science it feels or like sees the it as suspicious? The church seems to be stuck in their ways when the rest of the Why are they so obsessed with people? I would never be a part of a church that is not welcoming as church is the most vocal political voice against immigrants. Some churches still don't want to claim that worship was the actual how can your story be good that is from the majority of people on the church seems to be stuck in your ways when the rest of the like, culture how is that actually it seems like so much of the church's concern is being a good anti-critical they are being homophobic too narrow judgmental disconnected from what is truly happening in the real world <sighs> the church needs therapy welcome to the newest episode of the church needs therapy Today, our guest coming in from New York City is Aaron Nequist. And Aaron is a liturgist, a writer, and a pastor and an artist currently living in New York City. He's led worship at Mars Hill Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan, at Willow Creek Church. And in recent years, he has been creating a new liturgy. I'd say maybe almost like the last 10 years or so. Yeah, it's been, working it's on been a while. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. New Liturgy is a collection of modern liturgical worship recordings. In 2018, he released a book called The Eternal Current, How a Practice-Based Faith Can Save Us from Drowning. He's married to his wife, Shauna. They have two sons. So much exciting stuff going on. Aaron, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Hey, thanks, man. Glad to be here. Yeah, like I said before, each episode, we want to take the church to therapy mm-hmm. so she can have another issue to work through. And I right. always emphasize therapy is not a pejorative thing to say somebody needs. Therapy is not a negative thing to go through. People go to therapy because they know or they hope there's another way forward so every episode is we have to be honest about that which is getting in the way for the sake of clearing out a way for a new future that's where the work really is is the the energy to do both of those things right and i think for today what i wanted to talk about was if the church comes to therapy i want to talk about why it's essential or beneficial for the church to move from a belief-based church to a practice-based or an experiential-based church. So here's where I want to start. Tell us a bit about what it was like growing up in the church, receiving a set of beliefs, how those beliefs work for a while, they get you into the game, and then some critical moments along the way that started opening you up to see the need for practices and experience. Oh, great question. Yeah. And what I love about that is because everything we're going to talk about really does come out of experience and story and lived experience. These aren't just theories and, you know, but yeah, this, this really matters. And I I grew up in the church, a very conservative uh, Christian tradition, uh, the Plymouth Brethren. I don't know if you've even heard of those guys, but uh, a few things that are really beautiful, but a, a number of things that uh, were not as beautiful. (laughs) And, but basically what I heard was the, the goal is to believe correctly Mm. about these set of issues. And it was a really spotty set of issues. Um, I mean, we didn't talk much about the sermon on the Mount, Mm. but we talked a lot about, uh, salvation and about some social issues and, 
And again, what I heard was the best thing you can be is uh, a person who believes correctly and then can defend it. Mm. And I'm certainly not an anti-beliefs person. I think beliefs have an incredible uh, role to play in kind of a holistic, healthy soul and life and brain. But beliefs alone do not change us. And, um, and I experienced that firsthand. I was, uh, kind of grew up in the church and then went to Christian college and then got a job at a Christian church. And then my faith imploded mm. and it just, it wasn't like a big controversy. It wasn't like a, what about this issue? It just was like, this is it. Mm. Like I, be- I said that prayer a bunch of years ago and now I need to try to, you know, not sleep with my girlfriend and not drink or, you know, like that's it. That's what we're doing. Mm. And it just kind of ended and very weird. I mean, especially when you're being paid to be on staff singing songs, you don't believe anymore. Um, But that opened up into all these new questions. Well, if not just beliefs, then what? Mm. And that kind of uh, thankfully broke me through into kind of a wider and deeper story. Yeah, no, that's so good. Yeah, and I think that's that's such a critical thing in the journey moving forward is when you talk about or when we talk about moving from a belief base to a practice or an experiential based faith, yeah. it doesn't mean beliefs don't matter. But absolutely, yeah. Even though our beliefs do change, it's not just that our beliefs change, but our relationship with beliefs change or how mm. we hold those beliefs change in light of the, the, the increasing role of direct experience for us. Can you right. talk to us? I feel like that's a delicate thing. How does our, we still have beliefs, but how does our relationship with beliefs change over the years? Yeah. Well, that's why I like, I like the phrase from a beliefs based to a practice based because it's not saying an anti-beliefs mm-hmm. perspective. It's just not based in the beliefs, not centered. Maybe that would be a better term, actually. Mm. A, not a beliefs-centered right. faith, but a practice-centered faith. Mm, beliefs are critically important. I mean, if our beliefs are 180 off, we're going to be practicing in the wrong direction. Mm, yeah. um, but maybe I'll, I'll say this. I, I started one of the chapters in my book, The Eternal Current, with this story. And it's something that's been helpful. And it's just basically imagine that you, you are kind of out of shape. And you say, I'm going to run the marathon. And so you go to the local fitness center and you tell them, hey, I have about six months to prepare for this marathon. Would you help me? And they're like, yes, we'd love to help you. And they bring you back to this back room. It's kind of an auditorium. And they have a band that plays some songs that gets you all fired up. And then they have someone give a lecture on marathon running. And then they're like, all right, come back next week and we'll do this again come back next week. We'll do it again. And over and over, you realize, well, it's fun to get motivated. That's helpful. And the lectures are actually really good about marathon running, about uh, nutrition. The problem is just observing those experiences don't change our legs or our lungs or our body even 1%. We have to put those beliefs into practice. Absolutely. And so that's some of my, uh, you know, I've been a part of a church, been on staff on different churches for years and years and years. And that's my, my biggest, I don't know if it's, yeah, no, my biggest critique is we are too much a performance hall and a lecture hall. Mm. And we are not 
a gymnasium. Mm, so good. And then we wonder why um, none of us are getting healthier, right? Mm, yeah. And so again, should we, should we never do music or anything inspiring again? Should we never have anyone teach? Of course not. But the goal has to be to get us down onto the mat, mm, you know, yeah, to, to get us into, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, that's so good. Seeing the journey is not doing the journey. That's right. Yeah. And, and, and often and you have I, to yeah, see yeah, it ahead. first. Yeah, totally. You have to see it first. And you need a wise person who's been down the path to say, hey, this is called a bench press. <laughs> Let me right. teach you the right form. Because if you don't learn the right form, you could really get hurt. Mm, so yeah. back to your original question point it's not about well screw all the experts they don't know anything no, no no they will really help us but only if they're helping us do it not totally. just believe yeah and i think one thing that surprises people is why do we have pastors who don't know how to experience grace for themselves mm. why do we have yoga teachers who are still extremely neurotic and filled right. with a constant form of anxiety why exactly. do we have therapists who can help show other people the journey without actually doing it themselves because seeing it watching getting the right. information about how to properly bench press is not the same right. as doing it and that's, that's right and i think early on it feels like it is you're like the beliefs is i'm doing it Right. It's like in grad school when, you know, kids sit around, you know, and like drinking beers and they have this most strongest critiques of right, know, right, right, right. And economics. And it's like, of course, how often are you putting your body on the line for this? Never. Then That's what right. are, what is like you believe, especially as a five on the Enneagram, my temptation is I can talk about it for so long. I feel like I just did it. I just did it. Right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Nah, yeah. That's yeah. so good. Yeah. I have a page two this quote, I really want to read and I want you just to respond to it. Okay. Right. Friend, which is how, you know, Aaron's been a great pastor over the years because he starts <laughs> as a friend. I love it. Aaron writes on page two of the eternal current friend. I missed this invitation for years. I believed Christian ideas, prayed Christian prayers and attended Christian events, but I never learned to swim with Christ in the river of God. Though I had been a Christian since childhood, I missed out on the passion, meaning, peace, and power of eternal life. I traded the richness of swimming in the river for the dry riverbank of religion. What are you really getting at <laughs> right there? Because I think there's so much there to offer yeah. people today. Yeah. I mean, I, I probably tiptoed a little bit into this a minute ago, just sharing mm -hmm. the story. I, yeah, I, I, I followed the, um, the being a good religious Christian as far as I could follow it. Um, but I, I didn't let those practices open me up in kind of a real-time way to the creator who, who, want, who didn't just want to shine me up on the outside, but wanted to actually get underneath and say, hey, Aaron, there's a lot of beauty in there, and there are some things that need to be untangled. Mm, and yeah. religion never requires you to untangle those things. Mm. Um, but the practices that place us in uh, God's kind of tangible presence, obviously we're always in God's presence, mm -hmm. but oh, where we're aware Absolutely. of God's presence, 
then suddenly we're invited to untangle those things. And it's scary and it's difficult. And to your point, um, many uh, Christians and non-Christians just decide to close that door and mm. say, you know what, I, that's, I know that's a mess in there, but not going to open that for a while. Yeah. And unfortunately, we don't have that option. Mm, yeah. We either untangle it or it eventually comes out. Yeah. And I've experienced both. I've experienced bringing some of the brokenness, you know, especially with a spiritual director or a mm. trusted friend. And I've experienced it getting healed up a little bit. And I've experienced what happens when I just keep pushing it down. <laughs> just yeah, keep absolutely. saying, all right, that's, uh, that's for another day. And for me, that two things happen when I stuff it too long. One is mm. either I get really depressed. Mm, and I don't know why, mm. just kind of the world sucks and whatever. Yeah. Or it goes the other way and I start seeing that thing that I'm pushing down in everybody else. Absolutely. All those other idiots, you know? <laughs> so yeah, right. Paid against that fool and that mm. hypocrite. And that. But it's about that thing that, I, that I'm not yet ready to wade into. Totally. Yeah, no, that's so good. And that, uh, I like when you said we have to go in and untangle it because it's, it's almost as if, if we don't go in and untangle it, it will eventually untangle us and that's not right. in the good way. No, not in the, that's right. Yep. And I think even right. my wife and I have talked about this over the years, church planning. Cause I feel like pastoring obviously, you know, already presents such a unique form of challenges. Like if leadership is carrying some form of an, an invisible burden, then it's mm -hmm. one pastorally that like, it's just, you only get if you do it. It's just a weird, it's a weird thing. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. And I think church planning increases that a little bit because of the level of ownership you have over how easy it is for the ego to be so over-identified with the thing yeah. or the church because that's, right. that's your thing. It was born right. out of you, right? So right. I think right. it can increase a little bit. But over the years, my wife and I would say things like, there's things within you this naturally wants to draw to the surface, the pressure of it. You don't know where you stand with people. So it kind of draws like a marriage. It draws the worst mm -hmm. of you to the surface. And we say, if you don't go within and die to that, that thing will kill you. Yeah. And right. it's, it's a different thing. You know, it's a yeah. difference between opening up and shutting down. And that's right. I want to stay in this zone for one more sec because what you're saying brings up all kinds of things to me but also something i have here in my notes so what you're saying is you said you can do all the christian things practices communal stuff sing reading your bible but there's a depth of without knowing the deep river mystery love grace for yourself mm -hmm. now and also you said you can do all those things without ever having that honest interior journey into your own shadows, right? Oh, you, can do, you don't have yeah. to do that. Yeah. You, if you have That's the right. right beliefs, right? That's right. Yeah. So in your book, you talk about the limitations of a quiet time. Uh, yeah. That's right. First of all, on behalf of people listening, <clears throat> how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> but you said, and what you wrote was, and I found this to be really interesting is, it didn't talking about a, a quiet time, you know, it's like an event, like that's like the only spiritual practices. A lot of yeah. evangelicals No, wake up 20 minutes, read your Bible journal. It's good to yep. go. Is it that's bad? Right. Of course not. But it's, but is it limited? Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. When we talk about the whole journey. So you wrote, it didn't always form my heart beyond its natural perspective 
and proclivities. And I want to tell you this quick story and just get you to speak, to to kind of speak on both of these things. Yeah. Years ago, a friend of mine who was on staff at this larger church in Orange County said that when there's a staff of like 60 people, you know, massive thing. So they were going to do a staff retreat. So my friend told the lead pastor, Hey, I want to get Brennan Manning to do this. This was years ago. And so the pastor, I don't even know if he's heard of him. He's like, sure. And so my friend goes to Brandon Manning is like, hey, you know, I'm on staff at this evangelical church. I would love for you to come do this. And Brandon Manning, without like blinking an eye, said, I will only do the retreat on one condition. And he said, nobody's allowed to bring their Bible because evangelicals can hide from God in their Bibles. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And so he had to go sell that to the pastor. I don't know how that worked out. (laughs) We talk about limitations of a quiet time, that story how does it work where somebody can be in the word consistently? Someone is, is learning the scriptures. How can they hide from God there? How can they do that without really going on that deeper journey you're talking about? Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah. Oh, man. Such good questions. I, there are like three different <laughs> ways I want to lean into that. Um, the first one, let me, let me uh, back up just a little bit. And then I want to get to the the Bible part of it. Um, Like I said in the book, and like you mentioned, I I am almost never saying the specific practice itself is is wrong or unhelpful. Right. I mean, this morning I did a version of a quiet time. Nice. Um, You see that? Wildly, wildly helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, The problem is it is only one tool in a toolbox or it is only one kind of food on a healthy plate. Mm, yeah. Absolutely. And so you don't have to say, um, you know, potatoes are all bad. Potatoes are really good. If you only eat potatoes, <laughs> you mm. will turn into a potato. <laughs> I mean, you know, and which is which is what I thought when I was starting to get into why a wider set of practices and liturgy. It was my wife who eventually said, "Oh, I see what you're doing. You're trying to serve a well balanced meal every Sunday." Mm, yeah, and that was exactly what I realized. Oh man, as an evangelical worship leader, I've been serving one kind of meal every seven days, wondering mm-hmm. why the yeah. community is not getting healthier. Mm. And so in a similar way, as a, just as a individual Christian, I was having one meal every morning, this quiet time, and it's a good meal, but it wasn't enough. And some of my reflections were, um, at, um, there are limitations to a, a, a words-based practice. Mm. Right. And words, again, this is the theme of our conversation, apparently. Words are really good, but um, they have some limitations. And mm. so when I started doing some practices like centering prayer, mm. which is one of the most difficult and unbelievably powerful practices that I'm terrible at, but I have experienced <laughs> moments that, that if I would have been forced to articulate what was going on, mm. couldn't have done it. You're all twice because, a year. It really opens up for me. I get yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but to submit to that, it's just it, it's a different tool. It's a different mm-hmm. food group. It's a different whatever the you know all analogies break down. So I, I think there's oh, there's there's one element where we need more tools in our toolbox um, rather than just choosing one. There's an element to where it's language um, based which has gifts and limitations. So we need some non, 
you know, silence and those kind of action. Some people I know cannot sit for any length of time. And that's not yeah. because they don't love God. That's yeah. how their body is wired. Yeah. So they need to be, they need to also have practices that get them outside, that get them Absolutely. moving. Um, two more. One, <laughs> there was an element where I had done a quiet time for so long. I had kind of mastered it. Of course. It was, the experience was fully in my control. Mm. And I realized that limited it, that limited what I would allow God to do through it. Cause I, oh, I figured so it out. I know how to do a quiet time. I could crush it every morning. And, mm -hmm. uh, and then the last thing, um, and this is maybe something that we could explore a little bit. I've been realizing that the practices, you know, practices don't do anything. Mm -hmm. um, practices don't cause God to do anything. Mm, right. God is already doing everything. Mm -hmm. Practices just give us the opportunity to open up to what God's already doing. Mm, right. So it is possible to be doing this practice without, it, without our eyes open to God, what are you doing in this? <clears throat> and um, you know, it's very easy to be on autopilot. Absolutely. And I still think there's some value in doing those practice muscle memory and, you know, but the, the point is not, you know, tonight, uh, it's actually my uh, wedding anniversary today. Uh, today. Yeah. Uh, tonight, Congrats. Uh, how, how long? 19 years. Wow. Yeah. That's very, crazy. very exciting. That's so awesome. man. In a couple hours, my wife and I, we have a reservation. We're going to walk down to the West village and just have a, a dinner um, outside. There's a lot of out, outdoor seating right now while the weather's You're like, good. babe, I know it's our anniversary, but I, I, I'm just going to do one podcast and I'm yeah. good and I'm here. I'm, I'm <laughs> <No>. all yours. <laughs> no, we're doing some things in the day, but tonight oh, is, cool. uh, we're going to, awesome. my point is um, the dinner, the anniversary dinner with my wife creates some potential, mm. really meaningful space for her and I. Totally. But unless I show up emotionally, like my body's mm -hmm. going to be there, of but course. unless the actual me shows up looking for the actual her, we're going to miss out on mm -hmm. what is possible. Yeah, Just so doing good. the dinner does not connect us in the Absolutely. way that, yeah. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So like, you know, from you know, Roar quoting other people a long time ago, spiritual practices are just fingers pointing to the moon. Sure. And the yeah. moon is the point. The fingers right. are just pointing. Like even during the pandemic, right. our community has like a weekly sort of set of practices each day. Okay. We try to round out like the prayer of examine once a week on a Wednesday, two audio guided, more contemplative prayers, and then two nice. times of scripture and journaling because we're trying yep. to Absolutely. give people the whole meal, right? Yep. Like what you're saying. Yep. And yep. in the same way, we're like spiritual practices are just a ride to the party. You know, the party, right. the point is the direct, immediate experience of spirit and union and connection and feeling and knowing grace for yourself, et cetera. And because I always joke around with people just because of the, the weirdness of who I am. I'm like, if 10 years ago, one of my main practices was listening to Gregorian chants in my earphones and just focusing mm -hmm. on my breath because that's that was the ride. It wasn't the point. Yeah. Nobody else has to yeah. do that. That's right. I think also you even extended a little further to show like those practices aren't 
magic. The yeah. practices are carrying the potential and creating the best path possible for you to be fully aligned, awake, and present to the thing that's already there that we normally right. don't have full access to. Just yeah. like what you're saying about the dinner yeah. tonight. The dinner yeah. reservation, the restaurant, it doesn't, it doesn't make the love real between you. It's there. But hopefully yeah. all of that creates the best environment for you both to align. You're like, we're here. It's exactly us. right. Yeah. Yep. It's so good. It's the container, but it's still up to us to show up. And in, the, in tonight's example, it's up. It, the question is, will I show up and will Sh Shauna show up? Totally. So two, there's two v variables. In yeah. spiritual practices, God is already here. Mm. It is in God we live, move, breathe, and have our being. Mm. So there's no question about, am I going to do it right? And God's going to say, well, that was a pretty excellent prayer. All right, I'll show mm. up. God's here. Mm. God is here. And um, so that there's, a lot of, there's a lot of grace in that. Yeah. I have this little inside joke with a couple of friends from California. We say to each other, it's from this old like roar talk that we would pass around a long time ago. But roar is like, if you're not present to presence, there is no presence. Uh, it's the relational dynamic yeah. of That's right. is the presence fully here? Yes. But the, the it yep. becomes capital P presence in so far as you are present exactly and alive right. to it. Yeah. Right now. That's, that's right. So good. Let's let's shift a little bit because we can talk about practices in the individual sense of we're not just learning about the river, we're entering in, we're floating, we're knowing it for ourselves. Yep. But so much of your work, writing, but also as an artist and as a practitioner and what you call a liturgist is thinking about communal practices, liturgical practices in a worship Sunday gathering based yep. Yep. setting, which is just so right. good. So it's not just spiritual practices for us to connect with God, but you talk about how practices, liturgical practices, call and response, times of confession, all these great gems the church has done on Sundays historically, how you make the distinction between how some forms of worship are expressive. Mm. We can express our devotion, our love, gratefulness. We can open ourselves up to God. That's wonderful. And I think most evangelical-ish type of people are more familiar with that. Yeah, Worship definitely. as expression yep. and connection, That's right. which is, again, not really bad. Important. We're talking about the whole thing, yep. right? Yep. And you make a distinction between expressive practices and formative practices. So the liturgy, what we do on a Sunday, not only gives us a chance to express devotion or whatever to God, but these practices themselves have the potential mm -hmm. and the power to form us to be certain kinds of people. So talk to us a little bit about your passion for liturgy, for the different practices and exercises in the liturgy, and why that rounds out a whole meal of shaping us to be disciples of Jesus. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, well, the, the distinction between formative, formative practices and expressive practices uh, began with a story that my friend John told me. So this wasn't my insight. This was his. And he basically said, I'll tell the 10 second version. He said, when you're a parent and your kid starts learning how to talk, the first thing you do is give them language to help them express what's going on in their hearts. So you help them say, I'm hungry or I'm scared. 
Um, and that expressive voice is so important. But my friend John said, but at a certain point, as the kid matures, we also need to give them language that they would never choose to say. But as they speak it, forms them into the kinds of adults we know they and we want them to become, which is why we teach kids to say, please, mm. and I'm sorry. I mean, what four-year-old is like, you know, my fault. Yeah, I probably screwed. No, right. of course not. We have to right. teach them to practice the words, I'm sorry. Mm. So good. And as they practice it, they become people who can take responsibility for their mistakes. Mm. Well, mm. I mean, there's obvious there are so many correlations. I mean, why do we do a, a corporate confession of sin every Sunday? It's not because God is pissed and we need mm. to like grovel. It's because we need to practice naming reality. Mm. We need to practice saying, this is what is actually true. Mm. Um, I don't believe God is waiting for confession to forgive right. us. I believe that through Christ, the forgiveness is flowing, mm -hmm. but I believe we absolutely need to practice these things. And by the way, I'm gonna cut so, you off for a sec. Oh yeah, that was weirdly intuitive on your end because the only specific question I had about different liturgical practices was about confession. Really, I'm crossing okay. that off right now. That was nice. that was amazing. <laughs> no, that's so good what you just said. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I that's one that in um, whenever I'm in uh, uh, the farther. Oh, sorry. The farther in the progressive circles I go, the more pushback there is about confession. Mm -hmm. um, some my conservative friends love confession. It's all about sin. They're like Aaron, and, oh, I know, I know yeah. you're moving from here to there, but yeah. please hold on to this one. We need yeah. it <laughs> <laughs> totally. And um, and so it's forced me to to think a lot about it because I mean I did grow up in a real shame focused mm, thing, right? where the reason you confess is so you feel bad enough where you don't mm. do that again. Um, but more and more, it's, it's, it's a way to consent to reality. Mm. Um, if you take the no confession, sit, God's already forgiven everything, don't even worry about your sin too far, you just become a person who's pretending. Mm. And I don't think the way of Jesus requires pretending. Mm, um, so yeah, so that, that is, that so is one good. practice, but the insight from my friend, John was there are things, um, communally that we need to learn how to express together. Mm. And then there are things we need to practice. Mm. Um, one of the reasons I think we do prayers of the people every week, mm. um, is naming people who are not us mm. that matter to God that we pray for and lift up. It just, you know, we are fundamentally so many of us most of us are fundamentally self-oriented right and so a practice that every seven days turns us outward oh yeah there are other people in the world right. besides us oh yeah god loves them just as much as god loves us um so yeah those different practices really form us as much as help us express yeah now, you know, I actually, with a couple of people from a leadership team from Imagine, our church a while ago, I gave, it's a married couple, and I gave them your book, The Eternal Current. Because mm. as we were making a transition into a new space, like actually about a year ago, we were, even though we already had some different rhythms in the Sunday, there were some other elements. Yeah. And I felt like 
your book brings together <clears throat> so much of the great of great insights that shape people over the past like 10 years like you're looking at the bigger story stuff people really get from mm-hmm. nt right you know you're looking at mm-hmm. the unique insight of how we're formed on these precognitive levels from james mm-hmm. k a smith and like sure, mission yeah. i really when i saw your book i'm like instead of pointing people to three to four, which are more obviously like they can be rigorous books for some people. I'm like, yeah. this book brings it together and then builds and innovates and does its own thing. And especially as a person, not just talking about it, but who's been practicing it yourself. Mm. I'm like, honestly, it's just so I'm like, this is, oh, thanks so you much. Know That's what's, really kind. Yeah. yeah. No, for some people, like if you want to know what's beneath the surface for imagine and why we do some of what we do on a Sunday, mm. your book would be like, this is, this will help. Oh, that's see cool. What that is. Wow. Thanks and, for saying that. Yeah, man. No, absolutely. This is kind of a funny thing, but I, I've often said, I hope my book is a gateway drug for all mm. sorts of different things. Um, yeah. You know, there's only a couple pages on centering prayer. Mm. Um, but if that peaks something kind of your interest or something deep, you know, I hope it sparks you to read, you know, Thomas Keating and all, all sorts of different uh, uh, deeper streams. Yeah, no, that's that's good. And uh, I've always just appreciated how. So next year, if we add in the prayers of the people, people will come back to this conversation. But just because yeah. he said, it, I'm like, well, he uh, knows what he's talking about. <laughs> yeah. And, um, I mean, we didn't make up prayers of the people. No, I mean, exactly. It's a great tradition of, of doing it. But do it your way. Do it yeah. in a way that works for your community. Absolutely. You don't pretend you're something else. You can what do whatever practice opens you up to God's love for everyone else. Mm. And it helps you kind of join your voice and heart to that. Yeah. 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 No, that's great. Years ago, I'm not sure what year it was when you started the practice. Mm-hmm. What year did you start that around ish? Uh, I think 2014-ish. Okay, so 2014-ish. So you start the practice, which you refer to as a discipleship-focused, formational, ecumenical, practice-based community. Yeah. But here's my question, because this is landing so much of this concretely for you, right? You're having these intuitions, these inclinations, this growing desire, and you want to bring this together experientially for people. What was the deep why for this for you? Like, what was the engine within like that that led you to take in so much time and energy to create that? And how was that for you? Yeah. Um, Well, I was at that time, I was a worship leader on staff at Willow Creek. And so every other weekend I was leading, you know, the musical worship parts of the service. And I had already come to believe in a practice-based faith, in a more liturgical approach. And so I was trying to force all these different things into a clearly not um, practice-focused community. Which always Um, works out well. Oh, yeah, as a gift. For the community and for you personally. That's right. (laughs) And so, you know, at a certain point, um, our senior pastor actually pulled me aside and just said, listen, Aaron, we're never going to do this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, all right, that was clear. Mm-hmm. But then he shocked me and he said, but I know people need it. Mm-hmm. And that's you know, awesome. that's just not what our weekend services are for. Um, but we know people need it. Mm-hmm. So uh, we got into a conversation of what if we created a 
more experimental alternative place. And that's my heart anyways. I love so trying stuff and experimenting. And, and so it ended up, I mean, it was an outrageous amount of work and, and um, lots of things didn't work but a few things really did. Mm. And uh, it's probably one of the most exciting kind of life building experiences that I've had in ministry. So really thankful. Yeah. Yeah. I think so often there's a temptation for people who are primarily like head or mind people to be like, let me figure out everything in my mind and then I'm going to do it. Yeah, that's right. It's a humbling thing. You think like the now in quotes of like, you don't think yourself into new ways of living. You live yourself into new ways of thinking because it's the actual doing, practicing, embodying of something that helps align things within you that you wish you could do in your mind. It's it's like so often I tell people the questions you have in your mind are going to be answered in your heart or in your body. Mm. But people just don't always want to hear that, especially like five-ish type of people on the Enneagram are like, just give me two more books to read about it instead of doing something, right? Yep. So it feels like over the years, you're having more and more of a desire, understanding, passion, thirst to do something like the practice or to introduce, even if it wasn't the practice, to have a more liturgically based Sunday gathering. Yep. So when you have so many things in your mind and in your heart, and I know you were doing the recordings of a new liturgy already before that. Okay. Before that. Oh yeah. Yep. So you're already doing that. So you can really get a feel for the flow, right? So much of liturgy is flow and movement. It's a whole journey, right? Yep. What clicked when you say some things don't work, but some do, what from the practice really aligned for you? What did it confirm within you? What did it really like bring together within you? Where you're like, whoa, like this is it, or this is so helpful. Like what did that bring together within you? Like the doing of it. This is probably not what you're asking, but one of the things that it really confirmed for, for many of us that was so moving is we're not crazy. Mm. I think there was a sense for, for many of us that we'd sit in these big experiences, you know, kind of in the rock and roll church service thing, just feeling cold. Like mm. it, there's got to be more than this. And, and you start to think, maybe it's me. Maybe, maybe my heart is just something's broken within me. And when a number of us all found each other and we were like, wait, you too. It it was so encouraging. Like, all right, well, we're, maybe we're not crazy and maybe there is something else to be explored. So I, there was a, a sense where it was very, very moving, um, to find our people, you know? Yeah. And then I, I think maybe more concretely, um, just the element that the, a lot of the things that we thought were required for a beautiful service um, were not really necessary. Mm, yeah. And some of them were helpful and some of them weren't. And, right. um, you know, I, I had previously been leading, I think it's, I think Willow Creek has a hundred million dollar auditorium I mean, it's it's literally the 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 greatest venue i will ever play the sound was perfect uh, wow but i could talk to you for 15 minutes as a worship leader all the barriers that that building put up mm-hmm. to what we were trying to do as worship right leaders. not not barriers musically but barriers in terms of the actual experience and everything the else the depth. Yes. right 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 yeah and, you know, I, 
I'm not saying those big, those big gatherings don't have their place. They really do. And I, mm-hmm. there were some really beautiful things that happened over the years. But when I got into this chapel and we set all the chairs up in the round and we put the, the communion table right in the center and we had nothing elevated, we just stood on the floor and we, there was an ease and a beauty. There was a congruence of the physical space to our intentions. Um, I just remember thinking, yeah, a lot of the things that I thought we needed, we don't need. Mm, And some things that I never would have imagined we needed, we absolutely need. And Mm. it was just, yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah, that's great. I, I laugh when I hear like things like a hundred million dollar auditorium. Cause I joke with my friends who were like in orange County or somewhere. Yeah. I'm like you, if you have one family in your church, they probably give more in a year than imagine would get like the whole year. So I'm like, oh, can sure. just one yeah. fam, can we just create like an adopt a church program? <laughs> That's They're right. like, are like, they could beat their paternal figures to help That's us. Right. Cause yep. I just always laugh at that. But yeah, I think yeah. the discovery and the freedom, I'm like that, that goes back to the fingers pointing to the moon. The practices aren't the point, right? Like when you right. go into that space, you're like, that thing isn't magic. That was a social historical response to where yeah. they were, which helped them. But if it's no yeah. longer helping, it isn't magic. It's not etched into uni- the universe by God, meaning we have to do it. Right. Those are actually just things we, we, somebody else innovated. That's and right. we have a responsibility to keep doing that in our time. And it's yep. not a betrayal of who we are. It's actually a deep becoming of who we are, wherever we are. Yeah. So I think even that wisdom alone is so powerful for people mm-hmm. to feel that freedom and permission to do that, like you said, where they are. Yeah. It's so good. I mean, don't we all have that feeling? If only I had such and such. If only we had a budget for such and such. If only, you know, we're always looking over the fence at, at that other community or that other sound system or that other, you know, and again, there are, there's a, there's a threshold where if you're in a room that needs a microphone and the microphone doesn't turn on, that's getting in the way. Of so there, there is a threshold where we do need, you know, the resources for whatever we're trying to do. But I think that threshold's a lot lower than any of us mm. um, um, might guess. Yeah. Yeah. I want to switch a little bit when we talk about the liturgy and practices being formative. Yeah. One of the things that, that you focus on is this idea of as disciples of Jesus being swept up into God's sort of grand story of redemption. Yeah. And here's the question I have. If we move from a belief in Jesus as personal savior into this larger frame of being invited into God's cosmic story of redemption of which we have a role in the fulfillment of. Mm -hmm. So there's a story here. Things are all going towards this healing, reconciliation, justice oriented, et cetera. And now we have this role to co-create, to build with God. And as we move into that future, how does this, I mean, on one level, this is just personal. And I think obviously you can expand it out to others. Yeah. How does that move when you first start to like see that bigger story? You know, when the first time somebody reads Surprised by Hope and they're just like, holy, yeah. like, yeah, what right. is happening, right? Like those, yep. those moments. That's right. How does this change, excite and transform how you think about what it means to follow Jesus creatively and vocationally, right? This move from personal to this large thing you're a part of, how does that 
Now, what does that do for you vocationally and creatively? What does that do for all of oh, us? Oh, yeah. Well, well, I mean, it, this, one, this question is so personal because it was literally the, um, the center of the invitation that kept me a Christian. Mm. When my faith was ending, mm. my faith was about beliefs for me and my soul someday. Mm. And when that was ending, it was actually through uh, Dallas Willard's book, The Divine Conspiracy, mm. was the first time I'd ever heard about the kingdom of God. It's the first time I'd ever heard that the invitation was for now for the whole world, you know? And that was one of those like, well, if that's the story, I'm in. And so like the why um, changes everything that we do. Like, why am I trying to um, get over some of my resentments and wounds? Well, there is a personal element because I don't want to be angry. I don't want it to burn me up on the inside. And then because of this great why, there is this sense that because I want to be freed up to partner <laughs> with people that I otherwise might be resentful toward mm. so that God can do what God's doing in the world. Yeah. So it, it just kind of changes. It expands the why for everything. So it's not mm. just, well, how does that practice help me? Mm -hmm. um, I hope it helps me. I mean, that's part of the story. I'm part of the kingdom, right? But that's not the only question we're asking. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, it's just, I, I'm using a lot of, I hope it's not hy hyperbolic language. It's just so expansive in what this did in me. Um, and then it just changes everything. Yeah. Yeah. I think, especially when you work in with young people thinking vocationally, I'm like so many people, I think even more so people who grow up within the church, they're yeah. waiting for a particular permission to do everything when there's that universal permission mm. from the story to do anything that sure. then contributes to this. So I'm like, that's, that's a whole, right. the freedom and the ability to innovate. Yep. Now it does. I think that can be scary because it does place a lot of responsibility on us. It's like, yeah. you can choose. Like I didn't yeah. have to do imagine. This wasn't like for me an uncontrollable right. fate. I just let happen. Like yeah. we made intentional decisions to get where we yeah. are along with that. So yeah, that to yeah. me, that just opens up. I think on the creative, you're talking about justice, what I want to do. I'm like, if you can have that creative lens, like when, like when Rumi says, there's a thousand ways to kneel and kiss the ground. I'm like, mm. there's a thousand ways to That's contribute right. to the fulfillment of God's story. Yeah. Oh, well yeah. said. And I think if I could just uh, insert some Jesuit wisdom, my spiritual director is a Jesuit priest, and, and uh, he might say in this conversation, um, their framework is so brilliant. Well, that's, he wouldn't say that about his own framework. I would say that about the Jesuit framework, which is you learn something to act on, you act on it, mm. and then you bring the what happened into prayerful reflection mm. and you reflect on what happened and then you bring that reflection back into the new idea, which then propels Absolutely. a new action. That's so good. And that's the cycle that obviously keeps God at the center and God's wisdom at the center. So it's not mm. just, well, I think this will probably help the world. I'll do it. Mm. Well, yes, but then bring that experience back into prayer. 
Right. What part of that was about, was about my ego? Mm, what part of yeah, that was listening so to the spirit? What part of that was beautiful, but I just need to learn how to do it better. Mm-hmm. And then you bring this back into, you know, God's wisdom, which then propels us back into action. Mm. And that cycle, I think there's so much good in that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that praxis cycle you're describing, I think the, the concrete experience as we bring that back into prayer and reflection helps sand out some of the edges of idealism as well exposes the ego like what you're saying because you're like all right 80 percent of that was coming from a place of compassion 20 percent was ego i can take ownership of that but also like that's something for me to pay attention to i think the concrete experience is also like of course there's an ideal way you thought it was gonna go and it didn't and it doesn't need to to be good so as you come back right. around you're like what do i need to let go of to allow what this really is to emerge i think that cycle is just so that's yeah. that's that's so key i think for continuing to care and to innovate and to mm. create and do all those things yeah that's right let's uh we have like 10 15 minutes left let's switch up a little bit near the end the grand story being formed, these are, these are formative practices that shape us into particular kinds of people, peculiar yeah. people, yeah. these Christ-shaped, kingdom-oriented people who often see and live in the world as if it's upside down. The last are first, all of these great stories of reversal, mm-hmm. those you think are in are actually out, those who are out are in, the people who are the most sure they're in are actually out, just all of these, like the stories, yep. the gospels, all of this stuff is just so good. It's 2020. We are moving into another election season. So if Instagram and scrolling has not already overwhelmed you the past few months, <laughs> It might ramp up even a few more notches. It might just do it. But here's the question. When we think about it the most concretely, if so much of these practices are drawing us back into become characters in God's story and citizens whose primary identity and allegiance is to the kingdom of God, why is this dynamic of restoring ourselves finding ourselves in god's story so important for our identity as christians in the united states of america specifically in 2020 yeah oh man um we just extended the interview he didn't know it's a 45 minutes instead of 10 more (laughs) well okay uh, two things to say first a general comment we could talk about it for a while if you want And then I'd love to share a specific practice Mm, that we did at the practice during 2016, during the Mm, election season. So maybe we could even end by talking about that. One of the things that I'm thinking and talking a lot about, um, especially as a person who grew up in white evangelicalism, Mm. which is kind of uh, imploding Mm. and being, uh, yeah, it's alignment with the Trump movement um, is just exposing so much. And, mm-hmm. you know, so many of us are racking our brains. Like how could the people who have taught us mm-hmm. so many things that we, that we still hold on to, but they don't like, um, you know, they've been warning us about moral relativity our whole lives. Mm-hmm. 
and and now they're swimming in it and it's just mm-hmm. it's so so you know <clears throat> sometimes i'm mad sometimes i'm whatever but when i'm trying to be thoughtful about it i i think a lot about the difference between our identity being as part of the christian religion or our identity being those who walk the path of Christ. And Mm -hmm. there is such a profound difference between wanting Christianity to win Mm. and wanting to put Jesus words into practice. Mm, So good. Um, In some situations, they're polar opposite. Mm. Um, I saw a a, a meme the other day and I've written a post about it. I just haven't, had the yeah, whatever pull the trigger to, yeah not not, not 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 on the uh um not on the anniversary day wait till the next <laughs> yeah, day no, we no, have no, some no, time to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> but i saw a meme that just said i kneel for jesus and to return fire mm. and yeah and i just i just remember <laughs> thinking um, uh. i'm i'm glad you kneel for jesus that's really beautiful um you would think kneeling for him would also involve doing what he said. Mm. And one of the things he said is love your enemies. Don't shoot them. (laughs) And so, but, but there, there is a distinction. There is a, um, it, Christianity is a, is a banner we wave, not a path we walk. You know, Jesus Mm. is a mascot, Mm. not a teacher. And so we have, we have split, um, which is why someone, you know, uh, a demagogue like Trump can come along. And, um, you know, just a few days ago, he openly lied about that the Democrats removed under God from all of the, uh, all of the, um, was it the, the pledge? During the convention. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. It's just an open lie. Um, uh, there were two caucuses who did it, but every single um, opening session was included under God. And I just thought like he broke one of the Ten Commandments, do not lie, mm. to try to convince evangelicals that he cares about the God who gave the Ten Commandments. Mm. And, but that's not about, that's not about Trump. I, I think we, 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 um, we spend too much time criticizing Trump. We need to criticize and then heal Mm. the religious system Mm. that creates people susceptible Mm. to that kind of insanity. So good. Absolutely. So, so yeah, yeah, so I, I'm, I'm trying to do, do less less getting angry about politics especially because i mean the left is a mess mm. i i'm not a i'm not wearing a joe biden t-shirt right now i mean it's just right, right. it's such the whole thing is such a mess um it, that being said um that i'm not saying a false equivalence right right uh, no, i'm not saying both are terrible so pick your poison no no no, no. Yeah. one is boring and one is actual poison. <laughs> so yeah. let's, let's, you know, let's be real clear. Uh, but, 
but it's it's also it's deeper and it's wider and yeah when i really mourn what's going on it's two things it's how could my tradition create so many people susceptible to this kind of toxicity and anti jesus movement yeah and then the second thing that i just mourn is mm. the people who pay are always the poor, mm. are always wow. the people on the margins. Yeah. I mean, I'm a part of the movement that's causing this. And because I'm a white, middle-class, straight, Christian, um, it doesn't affect me the way that it affects so many others. And it's right. so profoundly unjust. But um, so anyways. Yeah, no, there's so much good stuff there. Yeah, I think the the false equivalence of like somebody offering a critique of Trump doesn't doesn't one mean that you're worshiping or think Joe Biden or whoever's on the ticket is spotless. Right. Right. It also doesn't mean just because somebody has a critique of one party doesn't mean I trust politicians as a whole. They're all of caught course. up in a system yes. of like of course. This is not that's why so much of this conversation for me is about allegiance and identity. Mm. It's like if yeah. you know America as a nation state, as it prospers in so far, especially as it benefits the marginalized, that's fantastic. But my identity as a follower of Jesus and a citizen of the kingdom of God does not go up and down with what, what exactly is happening in the United States yeah. in a way somebody who's over-identified with it should. America sure. wasn't here hundreds of years ago. It yeah. won't be here forever. These things yeah. don't last forever. I always ask people... In the eternal city, have you ever been to Rome lately? How's that looking? You right. know what I'm saying? Like, how's the rubble? You would have never thought that long ago. Right. I think there's so much. It's some of people's great challenges, and it requires great wisdom. And I think so much continuously surrendering acceptance and letting go on our part where you can offer. I think that's a hard thing when people look at the leaders who have shaped them. And then you see some of the things you're posting and it just, people get their heart broken. You know, it's yeah. your heroes. You're like, damn, they, you're like, it's eventually someone posts something. You're like, bro, not you. Yeah. And really yeah. Like, come on, dog, not yeah. you. But I tell people you can offer the full critique. You can be as honest as you're consenting to reality. Like we talked about earlier, sometimes consenting reality means having the, the, the courage to speak truth. Yeah. But I can speak truth and disagree wholeheartedly with the conclusion somebody comes to without feeling the need to demonize them yeah. or, or question their intentions. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because so often I just look at people when you talk about a system that creates people who are susceptible. I'm like, I know, though, that person wants security. Yeah. They want to feel safe. They right. want to feel protected. They want this. Now, as that's filtered through, I think, layers of fear and a system that preys on that, right. it's problematic. And I'm going to be honest about that, the way right. in which it's problematic. But at the core, I'm like, they want what that I want. That core need is good. Yeah, Absolutely. Yep. They want the that's same right. things I want. I, I happen to think they might be misguided in, in how they're thinking about going about sure. getting it. Yeah. But, and also, that's not just that helps sustain some of the relationships we have. Cause you know, there's so many yeah. people that are like, I'm not talking to that person at all. Like I'm done speaking to them just because of what they're posting, yeah. but also the ability 
to allow people to be where they are, even when you critique them, that's for our own joy that's and right. peace. Because if I'm just here pissed because this person posted that meme, now I can't be present to my kids who need me. I can't be, I have an anniversary dinner. How can I be present when I'm right. still angry about that? So right. I think that tension of you can be as honest as possible right. while still having compassion on the person who wants the same things. They're not mutually exclusive. You know what That's I mean? That's so good. And I know we're out of time, but can I just end by telling the story of that practice? Because it's almost yes. exactly what you were saying. Yes. Yeah, so Is that Aaron Equis, the, the, uh, the eternal current, um, how a practice-based faith can save you from feel like you're drowning. I might've messed up the subtitle on that. No, that's good. Yeah. Go get that. Um, oh, thanks. Yeah. I appreciate you coming on the story. We'll hear this. I'll do, I'll say goodbye one more time. I would love to hear that. Okay. So 2016, um, Trump versus Clinton. It was getting, as you remember, so nasty, so mm. toxic. So, and we at the time were, uh, spending nine weeks going through the Beatitudes. Mm. And so we were just confronted by how different the words of Jesus were from what was going on in the country. And so we decided we're going to add one practice to our liturgy for every Sunday for the whole year, 52 Sundays. Wow. And so we, we had always done a confession, silence, and then receiving words of, of assurance. Mm. And we said, we, we are now going to do confession, silence, assurance, and a prayer for our enemy. Mm. I mean, you know, I think I started by saying, how many of you believe that Jesus said, pray for your enemies? Every hand went up. And I said, how many of you do that? Mm. And all of our hands went down, including wow. mine. And so we said, for the next 52 Sundays, we're going to do it, starting right here in the fall with this, this election. And so some weeks I would guide us to you know, think of a, a global enemy or something like that. Other weeks I would keep it really personal. You know, Is there someone in your life who has become like an enemy? And we mm. pray for them. And, but a number of weeks as we got close to the election, um, we put up on the screen a picture of Trump's face and a picture of Hillary Clinton's face. Wow. And they just hung up there and the whole room went silent. And mm. I said, we're going to pray for um, our enemy right now. And I don't want you to pray for the one you're for. I want you mm. to pray for the other one. Mm -hmm. And then we just guided us a, a little reflection, not like change them, make them repent. Of course. You know, right, right. We, we said, pray for their marriage. Mm. Pray for their kids. Can you imagine of being the children of, of either of those public no. figures, especially in that kind of thing? And we said, we don't have to agree with their policies. In fact, we can really resist their policies actively. Mm, but absolutely. we will never, ever resist the reality that they were made in God's image, just like you and just like me. Mm, so so how do we retain their humanity, which is screwed up just like me, just like mm. you, while we even negotiate the kinds of policies we need to support and the kind of policies we need to resist? Oh and I'm God, telling so you, that's good. not something we could have done in our brains that was totally. only something that we had to do 52 times right. throughout the year to practice, not just thinking, well, they're my enemy. I should probably, no, no, no. I'm going to pray for and bless my enemy. 
So. Oh man, that is so good. It makes me happy that our church isn't meeting on Sundays because then I won't feel like kind of convicted <laughs> to try to do something like that right now. It was painful. I mean, none no, of us liked it. We hated it every week. Well, I just think but seeing those it. two images on a screen together yeah. and the kind yeah. of atmosphere, how that would just change That's the right. frequency of the whole thing in a moment, yeah. that alone. Oh yeah. You know what I mean, oh yeah. Um, Aaron, thank you so much, man. This was so good. Great to talk to you. Say it one more time, The Eternal Current. Aaron's first book that brings sort of all of these things we've been talking about together. You can find him on, I think it's AaronNequist.com. Find him on Instagram at AaronNequist on Twitter as well. His liturgical recordings, which you can hear like a recorded version of the movement of the type of practices and experiences he's creating on Sundays, you can get at, is it a new liturgy? Yep. A new liturgy.com. A new liturgy.com. You can download those audio practices and journeys. They're so so good. Aaron, thank you so much. Thanks. And I appreciate this a lot. Great to be with you. The next time I'll reach out to you, depending on how things go, 2021 or 2022, you're out here. We're making this happen. Okay, let's do it. Cool. I would love Thanks, that. Man. Cool. Yeah. Appreciate right. it. Blessings to you.